Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me on livetoone110.com. You can also find the video on the corresponding blog post or on our YouTube channel, Wendy Live to 110. Today I have Dr. Jess Armine on the podcast today. We're going to be talking about neurotransmitters and how to balance your neurotransmitters and all about testing and amino acid therapy, etc. A lot of people suffer from health conditions and mood disorders like anxiety and depression and don't realize that they can simply alleviate, alleviate their, their health issues by balancing their neurotransmitters. So we're going to be talking about antidepressants and why those may not be necessary. You can simply uh, treat your health issues with amino acid therapy. So we'll delve into that during the podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment today that we suggest on the show. I'm thrilled to announce my new online health program called BodyBioRehab.com. Go to the website and sign up. It will uh, be unveiled on April 1st. And during the online program, it's a six-week program with a 30-day paleo reset. I'm going to be talking about the five pillars of health, your diet, exercise, sleep, stress, and of course, my favorite subject, detoxification. You have to tend to these five pillars of health in order to live a healthy lifestyle, disease-free, and reverse health conditions. This is a very powerful online program that will help you to regain your energy, regain your clarity, mental clarity, and focus, and, and regain the vitality of your youth. And it just takes these five simple steps uh, to, to make this happen. And I'm going to walk you through each step and show you um, all the tips and tricks that I've learned over the last seven years for how you need to improve your health and separate uh, the myths from the, the facts, from the scientific facts, research-based facts in this program. And I'm so excited to bring it to you. It's going to be very interactive, lots of video content, lots of online downloads, a 30-day meal plan plan for the 30-day paleo reset, and you can lose weight. Um, you can lose up to 10 pounds during the 30-day uh, reset. So uh, I'm so excited to bring it to you. So go to the website bodybiorehab.com and sign up. And now for today's show. Dr. Jess Armine holds a license as a doctor of chiropractic and a registered nurse and has been a healthcare professional for over 37 years. He is trained in chiropractic, methylation, genetic research, neuroendoimmunology, functional medicine, nutrigenomics, applied kinesiology, cranial manipulation, and nutritional counseling. Dr. Armine is one of the few specialists in the United States specializing in correlating genetic SNPs, which are single nucleotide polymorphisms like MTHFR, with neuroendoimmunology. He also uh, correlates this with acquired mitochondrial dysfunction and cell wall integrity to identify hidden imbalances, hidden stressors in the body. He develops individualized treatment plans specific to the health history and physiology of each individual patient. Dr. Armin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am very happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you began balancing neurotransmitters? Well, I've been a healthcare practitioner for close to 38 years now. I started out as an EMT in New York City, and then I um, went to uh, college for nursing, and I was a registered nurse for about 10 years. And for the past 28 years, I've been a chiropractor. And um, I got into doing, oh, alternative medicine has always been something I've been interested in, but I got into the neuropsychiatric realm uh, because I have a, a child with uh, uh, with um, schizoaffective disorder. So going the traditional route, um, my son very quickly became not my son. And uh, they had him on so many different medications that he simply wasn't who he was. So there was a day when I kind of looked in the mirror and said, this disease is screwing with the wrong daddy. And I started researching and I started associating with myself with people who were in the know and this entire 
realm of neuroendoimmunology, neurotransmitter balancing started blossoming in my head. And um, not only was I able to help my own son uh, with his, with integrative psychiatrists, but I learned an entire new practice. So uh, this included things like neuroendoimmunology. I also have um, certifications in applied kinesiology, cranial manipulation, nutritional counseling. Um, And I treat all manner of different things because what we do now that we've um, we've coined as methylation and bioindividualized medicine uh, gives us gives practitioners the ability to look at the root causes and downstream effects of everything. Where usually people are treating one end or the other, and the genetics um, kind of an overview gives us a you know a big. 10,000 foot point of view and saying, gee, that, that pathway may crash, that one may crash, you know, and we can look at everything, put it together and say, hey, this is why you're not healing. And these are the possible causes. So it just kind of blossomed over time and kind of burgeoned. And uh, it's, this is my absolute passion. I have been enjoying what I'm doing. I'm helping a whole mess of different people finding out, finding answers when they haven't been able to get answers elsewhere. And those answers also include methodologies of healing. And I'm watching kids and adults who have been ill for lengthy periods of time and, and told it's either in your head or you're never going to get better, start getting better. And I love that you're doing this all with functional medicine and targeted nutrient therapy and amino acid therapy, et cetera. I think it's a, I, I love to hear stories. You talked about many uh, case studies uh, in the, uh, the conference uh, in January, the Center for Bio-Individualized Medicine, the Methylation Conference, mm-hmm. and uh, loved hearing all these stories of success. So um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, why you need or want to balance your neurotransmitters? Well, your neurotransmitters are the way that you express your moods, the way that you think. <clears throat> neurotransmitters, uh, I think we bandy, bandy the term around. But what they are, are substances, and there's about 300 of them, that transmit nerve impulses from one nerve to another. And our nerves don't actually connect to one another. So they have their own little personalities, and when a nerve impulse comes down the pike, it needs to get from one place to another. So it uses these chemical substances, hence the word neurotransmitter. And the lack, the type, the particular receptors all give us the ability to wake up, calm down, uh, be able to think, be able to reason, uh, keep it, uh, an even keel in our lives. It's all based in the neurotransmitter system. And what a lot of people don't realize is that nerves don't kind of go in one direction. We, we if you think of, um, the android in uh, Star Trek, the next generation, Mr. Data, he's got that positronic brain. And that's really what our, tra- our brains are like. They're very holographic. So the ability to to move information around, okay, is the way that we express ourselves, the way that we walk, the way that we interact with our environment. And it's all based in neurotransmitter balance. And so, so how do you go about testing for neurotransmitters? I'm going to say it. And then I'm going to have loads and loads of people yell at me because they always do. Okay. And I sit there and let them yell. I'm Sicilian from Brooklyn. You can yell at me as much as you want. You're just taking your chances. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you can test neurotransmitters either with serum, cerebral spinal fluid, or urine. Um, Obviously, if you use cerebral spinal fluid, you're going to get more of a central nervous system reading. But that's a dangerous procedure if you're going to do a lumbar puncture to get cerebral spinal fluid. It's not something you want to do on a regular basis. So most people will test either with a serum, blood serum, or urine. I tend to use more of the urine tests. Now, to anticipate everyone's argument, the first thing that every researcher jumps up and and stamps their feet and says, that's not central nervous system. And I'm like, yes, I know that. It's some of it's from the central nervous system, some of it's from the peripheral nervous system. And you have to understand that and you have to correlate with the history and the findings to see what is significant. But 
if you think about it, utilizing urine and saliva or using blood serum is more available. Remember, you're looking at biomarkers, so you're looking more at patterns than you are at absolute numbers. And combined with the history, and my biggest joke is, you know, for real estate, it's location, location, location. For doctors, it's history, history, history. I think they've forgotten that, though. Mm -hmm. Okay? You can look at those tests, look at the patterns, look at your patient, and say, okay, this is what has to be done. And I will tell you something about urinary neurotransmitter testing, which I've been doing for almost two decades now, that when someone gets better, when I see a particular pattern and I treat that pattern, the amount that they get better when I retest them is the amount that those neurotransmitter balances have gotten better. It's almost a straight correlation. It's the first time I've ever seen that in any kind of lab test. So, yes, I do use urine. I know I'm going to get yelled at, but guess what? It works. Yeah. And the same thing happens. I use hair mineral analysis uh, with most of my clients, and it's the same thing. You can't look at absolute levels. There's a number of things that will raise the magnesium, for instance, and you have to look at the whole Mm -hmm. person as a whole and their health history, et cetera. You get a big lot. Be a lot of uranium. You do have to ask if they work in a uh, yeah. uranium <laughs> in a factory. But if they happen to be from Roswell, New Mexico, or where they had the uh, explosions, they might have a bit of uranium in the soil. Yeah. You, know, you have to just think about it a bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so what kind of health conditions can you know literally be healed or greatly improved by balancing neurotransmitters? Well, uh, without trying to sound facetious, almost everything. Okay, but what do I tend to treat? Um, I tend to treat children with PANDAS, uh, with uh, OCD. I treat people with OCD, depression, uh, the more serious psychiatric disorders. I will co-treat with um, with uh, physicians. I'm not an anti-medicine person. Like, I'm not going to take somebody with psychosis and take them with their antipsychotics just because I do alternative medicine. I'm going to balance the neurotransmitters and then have the psychopharmacologist slowly change that around, okay? And I've seen people in five, six, seven medicines after six or seven months working together on one medicine and that individual who is non-functional is now in a functional member of society. But almost every condition that you can think of where there's any kind of mood component or physical component, i spoke with a um, family over the weekend. One of them was a physician and the daughter had pandas, but had horrible uh, neurological tics, okay, jumping all over the place, dancing the whole bit. And even before we started with the neurotransmitter balancing in a history, I looked at what she was taking, what could have possibly uh, raise sulfur or increase the excitatory neurotransmitters. I took her off all of those things. And within one day, all of the neurological sy- symptoms were down by 50%. Okay. Just by knowing the biochemical pathways. When I get her testing back, I'll be able to balance that better. Understand that that is a result of something. Okay. It isn't by itself. A thing. It is a result of something, but it is how we express our, this is how we interact with our environment. So, you know, balancing neurotransmitters uh, is a very great part of healing almost anything. Yeah. And what about people with anxiety? I have a lot of clients with anxiety. What is kind of the, the process with that? What neurotransmitters um, are in the over the excitatory uh, neurotransmitters are uh, what's happening to them and what can be done to kind of calm those, put the brakes on? Anxiety, or let's let's use the word excitation, because um, women, uh, men will not talk about anxiety. They'll talk about irritability, uh, and anything that is an excitatory condition, anxiety, irritability, OCD, ODD, uh, oppositional defiance disorder, stuff like that, is an imbalance in the inhibitory versus excitatory neurotransmitters. Inhibitory neurotransmitters calm things. Excitatories allow you to wake up and have energy. You have to have a balance. If, let's say, you've been under so much stress that you've overused your inhibitories, you may even have normal level of excitatories, but guess what? It'll look like this. So depending on your genetic predisposition, that excitation will express as anxiety, irritability, OCD, or whatever it happens to be. 
So you always look to balance inhibitory and excitatory. Now, the safest way to go about it without worry about, you know, you're going to hurt somebody is to use some form of GABA, usually a phenylated GABA, okay, that can get into the brain. GABA is the great calmer downer uh, for the whole mammalian species. Um, things like alcohol, uh, benzodiazepines, will stimulate the GABA-A receptor to release GABA. They don't provide the body with GABA. But there are certain substances out there that uh, will actually supply the body with GABA. And if it's phenylated, it'll get into the brain, and your body will have the ability to counterbalance whatever the excitation is. I've taken away hallucinations in kids with just the use of GABA and maybe when I saw the glutamate up, using some theanine to knock down the glutamate just to bring the excitation down, okay? So if you always think of excitation versus inhibition and always think of balance, you can never be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I know GABA is a huge one. I, I offer that to my clients when they're having trouble sleeping or they have anxiety, et cetera. It's huge help, much better than GABA, or much better than uh, Xanax. Oh, absolutely. Taking the ban- absolutely. Uh, benzodiazepines, uh, which... You can get hooked on them bad. Yeah, yeah. And getting, uh, getting off them is a real bear. Yeah, and I know a lot of people have uh, permanent damage from using them. About 60% mm-hmm. of people are okay, uh, but I think there's a, a big percentage of people that suffer a lot of damage from just trying to increase their GABA and feel better. Um, so why don't, why don't we talk a little bit about um, uh, how you how you do neurotransmitter testing? Is it the the fir- one of the first things that you do um, to to help uh, you know in, in their treatment protocol? Is do you balance the neurotransmitters first, or kind of what's your method? Well, uh, my my standing joke with everybody in the world is that protocols are a four letter word in my office. Okay. And I'll, t- and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why the subset of people I tend to treat are those people who haven't found answers elsewhere, which means I may be their 10th doctor, 18th doctor, 75th doctor. They've been everywhere. So the first thing I do is gather all their information. Okay. And do a very, very good history. Uh, why do I do that? Because, n- number one, they've probably done all the tests I can think of having needed to have been done. And I know that there's a lot of alternative medicine practitioners that people will go to see who charge them a fair amount to see them, but then also request, before they even see them, a very large amount of uh, laboratory testing, which in my estimation is throwing you-know-what against the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. So I'll see whatever is there, okay? After, the, after I take a history and I kind of figure out where the stones have been left unturned. Uh, the neurotransmitter testing may have already been done. I may have something like a NutraVal where I have the neurotransmitter metabolites and I can be guided by them. Uh, there's a whole mess of different ways of uh, garnering that type of information. Uh, if you're asking what, do I do a lot of neurotransmitter testing? Probably about seventy percent of the people, because they haven't had that done. That's one of the that's one of the stones that have been left unturned. Generally speaking, the other one is that people haven't fixed their gut correctly. Okay, and a lot of and many 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 practitioners are fixing the guts differently, but leaving one portion out. And I and I think it not to be ignorance. Everybody's doing their best. But it's the way everybody's been taught. So now we still have a whole mess of inflammation going on. And uh, so neurotransmitter testing comes in either earlier or later, depending on what I see. With the individual I spoke with over the weekend, that's the first thing I'm doing. Is, and that's the only thing I need to do because I have everything else. And I'm like, look, I, I know what to do with the GABA. I'll send you the phenylated GABA. But we have to see what the rest of these neurotransmitters are doing. And I can tell by the pattern you know, what the body's doing, and then I know how to intervene. So why is it important to heal your gut uh, to, to, to indirectly balance neurotransmitters? Well, we all talk about leaky gut syndrome, okay, uh, intestinal hyperpermeability and the like. Uh, the gut has a mucus layer, which is its extrinsic barrier, which traps things like toxins, you know, biotics, dietary peptides, which are incomplete breakdown protein products of proteins. 
in the mucus layer is the biota. We take probiotics. That's where they sit. That's where they do their work. That's what they eat. And then we have secretory IgA that's supposed to bind up all those bad boys. Underneath that, we have the cells that look like this. Okay. And we always talk about the tight junctions. Okay. And how those toxins and stuff can't get through the tight junctions unless they open up. What's really happening is the cells begin to die because of damage. And when they die, they release cytokines, which are like the Reese's pieces for ET. If you wanted, you ever want to have the white blood cells know where to go? Mm-hmm. Well, they look for cytokines. Then they go in and they literally rip out the area. They make everything nice and clean, but they leave these gaping holes where if it just one or two, it's not a big deal. But when it happens generally throughout the gut, you've got entry for all these antigens. The immune system sitting underneath there will start chewing on the antigens, bring it to a T-cell, and that T-cell will start producing antibodies. Now, here's, here's the thing. The more that the body gets stimulated, the more T-cells are created, memory T-cells. So every time the body sees that particular antigen, okay, it's going to produce a prodigious amount of antibodies. The more antibodies you have, think of that as the equivalent of inflammation. So if you have this massive leaky gut and you're reacting to everything, you're constantly producing a ton of antibodies, immunoglobulins, whatever word you want to use, and that equals a ton of inflammation. Inflammation, even in the medical literature right now, is being identified as being the major source of all the ills of the world, okay? Inflammation, oxidative stress, same thing. Okay, we now understand oxidative stress, but the very first thing that you want to do with anybody is try and bring down their inflammation and not by blocking it at the prostaglandin level or at the cyclooxygenase level like with a COX-2 inhibitor, but at its source, which is usually in the gut to at least 50 to 80%. I've had people with autoimmune diseases one month on a leaky gut treatment plan and the pain is 80% gone just by virtue of the fact that the inflammation is going down. So if you have a lot of inflammation, depending on your genetic predispositions, you're going to start stimulating maybe the hypothalamic adrenal axis. You're going to start messing with the neurotransmitters in that particular manner, Mm -hmm. okay? Any type of excitation is going to start having problems with the neurotransmitters in one way or another, okay? And by the way, the neurotransmitters and the immune system and the hormone system, they all talk together. They're constantly chattering. So you mess with one, you mess with all. Mm-hmm. And uh, leaky gut is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You don't even have to test for it. Between the gliophosphates and everything, you know, it, everything attacks the gut, attacks the biome in the gut. Uh, and that's where the new research is going. So is it worth treating the gut? You bet. What's the risk? Zero. What's yeah. the benefit? immense yeah you know and since treating the gut is not an expensive deal okay and it's just a matter of maybe uh being careful about your diet and giving your body what it needs to heal it's kind of a worthy thing to do i was very surprised when you guys mentioned in the conference that 40 percent of people um uh, that have leaky gut have no symptoms absolutely true i often get that but i don't have any i don't have any gut symptoms I don't know why that would be true. I don't, I don't know why there's not more of that. But, you know, there's 80% of the people with gluten intolerance don't have, you know, gastrointestinal symptoms, okay? It's called silent celiac disease, and it affects different areas of the body. It took it took the, uh, the alopecia a very long time to recognize what we knew for years, that gluten is a problem, okay? And the biggest thing I'm seeing now is that people are reacting to the non-gluten grains, mm-hmm. which unfortunately people are still starting to get that mindset, oh, let's just take the grains away. No, let's fix the leaky gut. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That's what's causing it. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, how do you go about balancing neurotransmitters? Well, uh, you use targeted amino acid therapy, which is to say that uh, if I want more serotonin, I'll use 5-hydroxytryptophan, and it goes, it goes 5-hydroxytryptophan, serotonin, um, and acetylserotonin, melatonin. Usually you want some B6 or whatever cofactors with that. Uh, GABA, 
I try and supply directly for a while because GABA comes from glutamine in the gut and glutamine becomes glutamate, which is excitatory. Then it becomes GABA. And if you have some problems in that pathway, you end up with a lot of glutamate and not too much GABA. So until the gut is fixed up and everything calms down, I tend to want to give people uh, straight GABA. Um, the excitatory neurotransmitters, it's kind of interesting. It's a bit of clinical decision-making because you've got things like phenylethylamine and norepinephrine, which are responsible for your ability to focus. So your true ADD person has too little phenylethylamine and too little nor uh, norepinephrine, whereas your ADHD person, I know they have different classifications these days, but the ones with the hyperactive mind, their mind's moving so fast that they have the attention span of a gnat. So guess what? You have the same symptoms, but different causations. So if I have a lot of excitatories and very little inhibitories, I'll build the inhibitories up first. Okay. If they're all down <clears throat> in my history, if they tend towards anxiety disorders, I'll build the inhibitories up first. If there's no history of that, I may do it simultaneously. Okay. And there are certain substances you can use like tyrosine, uh, um, D-L-phenylalanine, uh, D5-macuna. Uh, there's a lot of natural substances that will plug directly into the pathways and supply dopamine. Uh, generally speaking, if you look at phenylethylamine, you got D-L-phenylalanine, tyrosine, L-dopa, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine. Okay, but for some reason, the tyrosine likes the norepi and epi, and then the D5-macuna likes the uh, L-dopa, and the D-L-phenylalanine likes the phenylethylamine. So... You have to do it based not only on, you know, what you're seeing on the paper, but what your patient's primary problems are. And plus, if I have a high-functioning person that needs to think, you know, I may do things simultaneously. It's, it's, it's um, clinically variable, but the general principle is to increase the inhibitory neurotransmitters prior to increasing the excitatories. Otherwise, you create anxiety states. Yeah. Yeah. And so are you a fan of, uh, you mentioned 5-HTP. Do you prefer that over tryptophan? Um, because I've heard that tryptophan can be made into more neurotransmitters. Tryptophan, L-tryptophan, uh, is what used to be used consistently until the observation was that with some people, tryptophan made them excited instead of calming them down. They, did, they discovered something called the chirenic pathway. Uh, in the presence of pro-inflammatory cytokines, in other words, inflammation in the brain, that L-tryptophan will become chirenic acid, which is protective, and then it becomes quinolinic acid, which upregulates the NMDA receptors, which creates, creates excitation. The problem with tryptophan, they did a study 15 years ago where they did blood tests on like 10,000 people and found that everybody's low in serotonin. And here's the reason. And tryptophan is kind of a big molecule. And when you're eating, okay, you've got about a three-hour window of absorption. And in the amino acid realm, tryptophan is the last guy on the bus to go, go across the membrane. Tryptophan in and of itself only converts to 5-hydroxytryptophan, about 5 or 10% of it does. So you're already kind of at a deficit. Mm -hmm. If anything's wrong with the gut at all, if there's any kind of inflammation, the tryptophan is the one that's going to take the hit. Yeah. So you get very, very little 5-hydroxy, which does not get into the nerves, into the manufacturers to create serotonin. So that's how we kind of got into a ubiquitous serotonin lack in this country, which is why SSRIs were kind of the first thing to come down the pike and did, in fact, help a whole lot of people, except that when you use a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, at the synapse, it's helping the reuptake and keeping more, more serotonin in the synapse, but it's doomed to fail because eventually it, do, it doesn't address why it's low. So the fact is, if you ain't got it, you ain't got it. So it doesn't matter how much you reuptake it. Yeah, I, I've read that it, it depletes the serotonin eventually because you're constantly leaving it in the synapse and then you can only do that for so long. And then yeah, the, the you're making a copy. Of, it's like making a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. It's going to fade. You're not going to have all the same, not all the same qualities of it. Uh, but the, the but the the reality is that what whatever is draining the serotonin, 
whatever is not allowing the serotonin to be replaced in the warehouses, the vesicles, okay, that process continues. So at some point, some amorphous point, the medicine will stop working and they say, oh, let's just give them more medicine or, or worse, let's give them a Bilify. Drives me nuts. Yeah. Oh, let's give them an atypical antipsychotic yeah. that now uses, instead of reuptake inhibitors, agoni- you know, receptor agonists and antagonists. And all you're doing is stretching the inevitable. Okay, so now people are beginning to think, hey, maybe we should treat both ends of this. You know, it's not, you know, using a Band-Aid is not dishonorable, especially if you're bleeding. Okay, what's dishonorable is only using a Band-Aid and never paying attention to whatever is causing the bleeding. Okay, and this is how we came across this particular, you know, poor way of thinking. So... This is why when people come to me, everything else has failed. I look and I say, okay, I know why it's failed. I can look, you can have a list of medicines and a neurotransmitter says, I can look at both of them and say, okay, I can tell you exactly what the real levels are based on, I know how these medicines bring the, med- bring the uh, levels up artificially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a nickname um, that somebody gave me about two years ago when I looked in a neurotransmitter test and I was literally telling her entire life story. She said, I know who you are. I said, who? You're the neurotransmitter whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's stuck. Because <laughs> all my friends, they come over to me like, what do you think about this? I'm like, okay. And this is what happened to this person. And this is why it's failing. It's going this direction. They're like, you're weird. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a compliment. (laughs) It is. So as the neurotransmitter whisperer, what what in your opinion are some of the dangers of people using SSRIs, especially long term? (sighs) The dangers are as follows. Uh, Number one, let's get to the big one, serotonin syndrome. Uh, first of all, an almost unheard of uh, occurrence. The only way you can get serotonin syndrome is overdosing on SSRIs. Okay, it is a life-threatening condition. Uh, even if you see the serotonin way up and you use a lot of amino acids, you can't get serotonin syndrome because when you use amino acids, if there's extra, the body changes it into glucose via gluconeogenesis. Nothing to worry about. Yet the utilization of the medications fosters a lack of responsibility on the physician, healthcare provider's part, and patient's part to go after the root cause of the problem. So here you are feeling better because of the SSRI. And let me tell you something. It'll work 10, 15 years, okay? But then you never fix what the problem is. Suppose it's Lyme. Suppose it's one of the co-infections. Suppose it's chronic strep, okay? Now you're giving that organism 10 more years to wreak havoc in your body so it isn't medicines aren't evil the injudicious use of medicines are evil and to not look at root causes or causations and the downstream effects that's evil and there's a set of doctors who are who have stolen my idea. There are a lot of people stealing my idea these days and using my words, I'm going to go after them. Okay. They're using my stuff. And this doctor now calls his group the upstreamers because they look upstream. I'm like, you think you just discovered something? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay. But the dangers of using anything like this is the fact that they're doomed to fail. And when they fail, it means that the body has gotten clinically worse. And the more, think of it as a bell curve. If you're within a couple of standard deviations, the body can fix itself. But the farther you go out, the harder it is. And if you were here, it would have been a lot easier. But if you're out here, I don't believe in permanent injury, okay? I do believe things can be chronic, but it makes it so much harder to get it back here so that the body's homeostatic mechanisms can heal it, okay? So it's the lack of... Uh, looking any further than the medicine. Yeah, and we were talking about tryptophan earlier, and uh, I think that's, I think, one of the reasons why a, a deficiency of serotonin is one of the reasons that so many people are addicted to sugar, because when we eat sugar, the insulin clears out, yeah, it clears out all mm-hmm. of the amino acids except for tryptophan, so there's no competition for it to get across the blood-brain barrier to make that's serotonin. True. That's yeah. 100% true, which is why compulsive overeaters um, 
tend to go after carbs. Okay, they tend to be low in serotonin. Okay, but that's the exact, that's the 100% exact reason. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was uh, really compelling, very interesting. Um, I know when I was a vegetarian, because I wasn't getting any tryptophan, I, I could not stop eating sugar. And it finally dawned on me when I, I woke up out of my haze to start eating meat again, um, that, uh, that's, that's why. Cause I wasn't getting enough tryptophan to make serotonin and my body was going to make it happen. However it needed to happen. So it will, it will force you. It will force you to get what you need. Otherwise it'll cannibalize itself. And if it can't cannibalize itself, it'll just give you on, on this unmitigating desire for something. Yeah. Okay. It's sort of like a pika. Yeah. And so you do genetic testing, and yes, this is one of the reasons I, I attended the, the methylation conference um, uh, the, put on by the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine is uh, – so talk a little, a little bit about uh, why you want to get genetic testing and how that very much relates to your neurotransmitter production. Well, it's a really good question. One of the <sighs> genetic testing – uh, which is really we're looking at the epigenome, which is the set of um, genes that encode enzymes that run your biochemical processes, are an enormous data point when you're looking at somebody with a chronic illness or even looking at a healthy person. You can look at someone's genome and say, hmm, this pathway isn't as robust as it should be. So with under oxidative stress, it might fail. Okay, it might stop producing what it's supposed to produce. It might stop uh, detoxifying what it's supposed to detoxify. And in that, when you take the genetic testing and you start putting it into its biochemical pathways, it becomes obvious why certain people become ill and it also gives you a path of healing. The difficulty I see in genetic testing today is a lack of training, which is why you took the conference, is a lack of training of people uh, for healthcare providers understanding not only the polymorphisms or SNPs themselves, but their place in the overall healthcare of someone. So if you have somebody with a lot of GAD SNPs, which is the glutamate decarboxylase that takes glutamate and makes it into GABA, and they have a lot of COMT, methyltransferase or MAO monoamine oxidase SNPs, which means that they can't break down their excitatory neurotransmitters. You have a situation where they have a backup, depending on what's causing the traffic, let's say Lyme or yeast or whatever, okay? They have this buildup of excitatory neurotransmitters that may work its way through that GAD, have a high level of glutamate, and that will irritate the heck out of the brain and whatever... It's going to do anxiety, OCD, hallucinations, that type of stuff. That's the pathway. So you're saying, what do you do about this? Okay, well, you stop, you bring down the inflammation. Okay, you start giving the pathways what they need, the cofactors and coenzymes. Or you start getting after the root causes. Okay, the neurotransmitter test will tell you how much injury there is to the, the the nervous system so you know what to start balancing because the fact is that when you've had something chronically different from acutely, if you have like strep throat acutely, they give you antibiotics like a week later, you feel better. You're fine. Okay. But when it's chronic, uh, damage has occurred. So there's a certain amount of fixing that has to be done downstream, if you will. Okay to allow that body to heal itself. We do this with Lyme patients all the time. Okay, we'll fix their bodies first, then let the Lyme literate doctors go after them with what they do. And the epigenetics give us warnings that perhaps this medicine may not be the best idea because you have these set of polymorphisms. So we should reconsider because it may not work this way. Looking at the electron transport chain for the mitochondria, one of the reasons that many, many, many people don't heal, and until last year, maybe 18 months ago, it was considered a permanent condition. Okay, mitochondrial dysfunction is one of the reasons that people don't heal. They don't produce enough energy to heal. Okay, and that's why we uh, coined the term acquired mitochondrial dysfunction, because in any oxidative stress state, you're going to have a degree of it, and the epigenetics... If those highways are two lanes instead of eight, 
they're going to have the most problems. So I look at the person's condition. I look at the SNPs and I say, you know something? I better pay attention to that electron transport chain because I think that person's getting better because of that. Okay. And that's how it's used guidance. <clears throat> the worst thing, and I'm, here's, I'm going to get in trouble again. So everybody duck, everybody get out of the way. Yeah. All right. Um, there's a lot of people waving the methylation flag. A lot of people waving the genetic or the nutrigenomic flag. Uh, you need to work with people who understand this very thoroughly, which is why we're teaching it. And the worst thing you can do is go to a computer program, run your data through it, and have that computer tell you what to start taking. And there's some people who are doing that now, and um, that is as dangerous as heck. Yeah. Okay, because they're doing nothing but saying, ooh, you've got CYP1, 1A1, you should take this. If you have estrogen dominance, do you take DIM, IC3, calcium deglucurate, which is going to work for you, okay? If you have dysbiosis, it's going to be a calcium deglucurate, otherwise you're going to make things worse, okay? And I've seen a lot of people give methylating products, especially methyl B12, 5-methylfolate, trimethylglycine, SAMe, yada, 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 okay? And the person takes it and all of a sudden the back of their head blows off, okay? Because it wasn't the thing you should have been doing because you looked at this NIST, but you didn't bother to take a history, you know? So um, they interact, okay? You're going to see how the neurotransmitters break down. MTHFR will tell you if how they may be produced, Okay, you look at the person's condition. It also tell you how the person's detoxifying and where the possible glitches are so you know where to start looking. And that's the whole idea of methylation and bioindividualized medicine is to give healthcare providers and everybody a paradigm to be looking at so that we heal by intention, not by accident. Yeah. Yeah, and I we know. don't forget and we don't forget stuff. Yeah, and it's so true. You have to look at all the whole client, their health history, their their medications they're on, the supplements they're on, and all the testing. You can never have a computer uh, tell you what supplements you have to take. I Just, wish it could, but let me tell you something. It takes me a long time to do everything. And if you would see my desk, if I pointed down, he'd say, oh, my God, what a mess. Yeah. Right, because I'm sitting here writing things, pointing things out. You know, eventually you get quicker at it. But this is, again, why we decided to run classes, because... The call now is as many, many healthcare providers and lay people literally worldwide that want to mentor with us and want to learn this and want to learn it correctly. Believe it or not, the guys who are, I call the charlatans, they call me a charlatan, that's okay. You know, the ones I call a charlatan, the ones that aren't doing it correctly, okay, they attract people, but they never heal them. They end up back in our labs, okay? This is the way things, this is just the permutation of, uh, if 1970s, if you remember, there used to be psychoneuroimmunology, where they, where the medical guys say, oh, psycho, the mind and the immune system, they're kind of together, okay, and there's relationships there. And then in the 1980s, the Neuroscience Corporation came up with neuroendoimmunology, where neurology, endocrinology, and immunology started talking with one another because they had the receptors for each person's um, biomarkers. Methylation and bioindividualized medicine is the next permutation of that. Okay. And then, and we're constantly researching and what people don't realize we constantly talk with one another. We're not up in our ivory towers. Sean talks to me. I talk to Sean. We talk to Cynthia. Sterling talks. Sterling talks a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but there's, there's no one in the world who understands the polymorphins better than that woman. Okay. And I'll tell you something, as much as she chatters and as much as she just, you know, can just go off, she's got a heart of absolute gold. Mm -hmm. You know, she has taken her life and dedicated it to doing this right. And we have, we have a lot. This new form of healthcare owes her a debt that can never be repaid. Mm. Yeah, I actually have an appointment with her to go over my, my genetic snips. <laughs> Make sure you bring your seatbelt and <laughs> yeah. a lot of water. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because she's very, 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 very good. Yeah. Very good. She's, and she'll tell you exactly what's going on. She'll also tell you, look, I'm looking at all this stuff, but you better talk with a clinician because, you know, this, this stuff has to be differentiated. Yeah. It's one of those right? things where I think every clinician has their expertise, like clearly hers is genetic snips, but maybe mm -hmm. she's not the person to tell you what supplements to take. You know, you have to. You know, that's her. She has her little area of expertise, and other people oh. 
have their expertise. That's true. And this is what we're doing. This is the nice thing about putting all of this stuff together because the more people that we bring into this sphere, the more expertise and people we're going away from the specialist mindset because this is why we're in trouble. People, people are going to specialists in the sixties. You went to your general practitioner, your general practitioner ran everything. If you got sent to a specialist, they barely talked to you. So I'll call your doctor. Why? Because your GP ran everything. Why? Because they knew you since you were a baby. They knew your family. If they had good news for you, fine. They knew what to give you. If they had bad news for you. Who, who better to tell you? In the 70s, everything went toward specialization and the GPs were ostracized. Okay. So now you have a set of doctors that are very good specialists in their one area, but no one talks to one another. Okay. And we as consumers, you know, go to a gynecologist and expect them to be a family doctor. They go to a orthopedist and expect them to be something else because we have needs, but we don't know who to go to. So the onus on treatment lands on the person least trained to do it. And that's the patient themselves. Yeah. What we're doing here is recreating generalists. We like to call ourselves specialized generalists. Okay, we're recreating that person you can go to who can put it all together and say, okay, all right, this is what's going on. All right, if it's not in my court, at least I'll know exactly where to send you, you know, and exactly what's happening. And that's the best service we can do for people. Yeah, and I love it that you're going to be doing more training. Um, I, yeah, I attended your January uh, conference for the Center of Bioindividualized Medicine. And you survived. I survived. I survived. <laughs> but you're going to have that available for other people to purchase, correct? We're going to have the uh, we're going to have the video of it available. We're going to be doing another seminar, I think, in Dallas. Uh, we're taking, of course, that was our first seminar, and let's face it, any first seminar has its glitches. Yeah. And oh, wow. we're, thank you, I appreciate. It. No, I really do, honestly, appreciate that. Uh, we did. We worked very hard six six seven months working on everything, uh, and so we took that and we're you know we're going to stretch it out to three days so that we have more genetics in there and more clinical pearls. And, um, of course that's going to be not only physically there, but video streamed and, uh, you people, um, healthcare providers have an opportunity to mentor with the speakers. They can just call the speakers up and we're trying to centralize that so that I, I spoke with three doctors today, you know, who want to know this stuff and what, and what they do is they bring tough cases and, and I go with them and say, okay, let's go over it. And I put the genetics in and put everything else in and say, okay, this is what I'm seeing, you know, and this is what I would do. And it's, a lot of times this is like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> now I, I have another point of view that I can work with because doctors really care about their patients and they get frustrated when they when they get people that they can't heal. And then if they get too frustrated and, and they don't want to learn, that's when the head case diagnosis comes out. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, we're going to continue this. The research is ongoing and it's ongoing. Trust me. Yeah. We spent a lot of time doing it and we love it. Yeah, I love that you had the conference. It was available remotely as well because, you know, I didn't really want to go to Philadelphia in the dead of winter. <laughs> I, yeah, I so, don't blame. <laughs> yeah, so, but I, so that's, that's great so that it's more accessible to more people. And you're doing, uh, you, you do uh, physician training as well? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they come, they just call our office. They make time with us, myself, Sean, or they can call Cynthia and then we literally go over cases with them. It depends on what their particular needs are. There are some doctors that come and shadow us for a week or two. And um, basically by the time a week is done, they've gone through so many cases that they really have a good handle on how to think about this. You know, nobody can know everything. What I can teach people, what I do teach people is how to think about it and all the clinical experience we've had. The nice thing about our group, like you just said, everybody has their, if you will, niche, but it's not, it's not really a niche. We all share. So the, the sum of us exceeds any one of us. Yeah. So Sean has no problem working with me He's sitting in the next room. If he has a problem, he can walk through the door. If I do, I have a problem, walk through the door. If, uh, if I, I see something that I, I know Cynthia would know about or Ben Lynch, I have no problem calling them up. You know, saying, what do you think I should do about this? And we constantly share information. That's how the, that's how this grew. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, it's big now. It's it, people are just going, gee, we heard you have some answers. Yeah. yeah. Looking for, you know? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're dealing with some really tough cases and had really amazing clinical outcomes. That's the beautiful thing about it. People who, especially children, 
who have been, and I told some stories during the conference, uh, but an ADD story, an eight-year-old who was diagnosed at Johns Hopkins and Cleveland Clinic and um, Johns Hines, you know, with ADD, and the cutest little thing on two legs. I mean, you know, little, little girls are the best. I mean, I, I think they live at the right hand of God myself, okay? So she comes to my office with mom, and I, I, I look like a bear. I have bears everywhere. <laughs> so I do. I'm like, you want to hold a bear? She said, sure. I said, you want to hold another bear? She said, yeah. sure. I said, you want access to my Wi-Fi? She said, okay. You know, okay. So as I'm looking at her neurotransmitter test, I noticed the dopamine's through the roof. And I said, um, hmm. I asked mom, I said, tell me about her hallucinations. And mom looked at me and I said, I, she's been diagnosed with ADD, not, not psychosis. And she said, you know, she always talks about the guys in her head. She's eight years old. Okay. And so I said, I won't say her name. I said, uh, by the way, about the guys in your head. I said, how do you, you like talking to them? She said, oh yeah, we, we always, we're always chattering constantly. She said, I even have a mermaid that takes um, bass with me. I'm like, you know, I said, uh, tell me when people are getting on you for not listening, are they getting kind of loud? She said, Dr. Jess, sometimes those guys are so loud. I can't hear a thing. You know, I knew what was happening. So I, I balanced the neurotransmitters, brought the gab up, glutamate down. The hallucinations went from loud to very, very quiet. And we did other testing. She had Lyme disease. Mm. That's what was setting it off. Yeah. You know, and she's treating now. And at first, she was very sad about not hearing the voices. You got to be very careful because they're their friends. Okay. When the hormones hit is when the voices start screaming. That's why most of psychotic patients are diagnosed at 15, 16, 17, 18. By the time the hormones are at full swing, for whatever reason, that's an exacerbatory factor. And they scream as opposed to just having friends that they're talking to, okay, that they're very happy with. You don't want to take those guys away. You want to calm them down so they're not screaming. But there's an example of diagnosis of ADD, which is not a diagnosis, it's a syndrome, and the actual root cause of the problem, we were able to calm that brain down. She was able to live completely normally and happily. And now we're, they're working on, they decided to treat with an LLMD, which is fine. And, and they're having great success right now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and uh, Lyme disease is, is very prevalent. It's much more prevalent than people think, correct? Yes. And if, you would, uh, if any of your listeners, um, and I, I know you have a great following, have any kind of chronic illness and Lyme disease has not been checked and checked thoroughly, uh, the doctor has not done their job. And the screening tests, the diagnosis of Lyme is a toughie, but there's lots of tests that, that you have to do to see, if, look for the presence of Lyme, whether it's hiding, whether there's been immune, um, immune dysfunction. Some of the tests are very direct, some of them by inference, okay? But you got to keep that constantly in your head because Lyme and co-infections are ubiquitous. You found, they found them in Antarctica in the Empire Penguins. Okay, the seabirds were carrying the ticks over. So when you look at those, you look at those uh, maps that says, "Oh, this is the Lyme endemic area," those are where they dis they found CDC criteria Lyme. That's where they were diagnosed. Okay, so that's where they had to be reported. That is not a reflection of where Lyme is. Where Lyme is, you can take that that map, spray it. It's everywhere. Yeah. Okay, and it's causing Lyme is a spirochete, just like syphilis. Okay, remember syphilis is end stage will go to the brain. Yeah. Well, spike spirochetes end stage goes to the brain. Okay, it's going to go to the neurological system, and this is why I'm beginning to see kids with adrenal exhaustion at 13. I used to see it at 65 because they've had it since they've been two. Yeah. So the upregulation of their system has made their adrenal system and their thyroid and everything just go by the time they're 13. And how does that express then? That expressed with neuropsychiatric disease, ADD, uh, sometimes, uh, especially with the hormones, sometimes just poor behavior, sociopathy, you know, when you run that gamut. So if you look at this is why you look at the genetics, you look at the root causes, downstream effects, you look at the mitochondria, look at the cell wall stability. And for the most part, you can heal people. Okay. You're going to find out what's wrong and you're going to have a, a line on which way to heal them. Yeah. 
Well, Dr. Armin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That was so rich with information. <laughs> Clinical I, pearls. I tend to babble. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no we, we want you to babble. That's what, that's what you're here for. Babble away. Uh, but but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about, about you, where your clinic is, how you operate, can you operate remotely, et cetera? The vast majority of my um, my patients are remote. Um, I treat them on the phone or I treat them on Skype. And my standard joke is, do you think my Australian patients uh, fly in to see me? <laughs> okay. I start my day in either Italy, uh, Scotland, Ireland, England. Um, then I'm around the United States. And at the end of the day, I'm in Australia mm-hmm. Okay, because of where it is. I do have people from the local area. Even people from the local area, if they're like more than an hour away, they treat remotely with me. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very comfortable doing that. If someone needs the services of a practitioner that needs hands-on stuff, I refer them to the appropriate practitioner. But the vast majority of the people have had everything done, and it's a matter of diagnosis. It's a matter of figuring things out. So, um, yep, I treat remotely. So what, what is your website? Where can people find you? Uh, it's really easy, drjessarmine.com, D-R-J-E-S-S-A-R-M-I-N-E.com. Uh, if anybody had a thought that perhaps they wanted to know whether I could help them or not, they can just call my office, uh, the number's right on my website, and talk to my uh, the patient coordinator. And what they will do is schedule what, a, what I call a 15-minute complimentary get acquainted conference. I love these little conferences because I get to chat with somebody for a few minutes and Within 10 or 15 minutes, I'm going to be able to say, yes, I can help you. No, I can't. Okay. And this way they don't spend any money. And then if we do decide to dive in, we dive in with both feet. Yeah. And what is MABIM.com? MABIM.org is the educational arm of us. Uh, we created a, a LLC called Methylation and Bioindividualized Medicine. Sterling and her NTHFRsupport.com, we, we all know each other, of course. And bioindividualized medicine, which is Sean and, and, and my trademark, we created it. We looked at each other and said, you know, we're going to have to get together anyway sometime. Okay, so why don't we just put it together formally so we can teach, hence methylation and bioindividualized medicine. And that is our educational arm. We have a, we have a scientific advisory board, and this is where the education is coming out of, which is why we can do certifications and so forth. And we wanted to have just a... We wanted to have an educational arm that had more and more people with us so that we could expand the knowledge base and reach more types of practitioners and the benefit to the person, to the practitioners, that they are getting four and five different points of view as opposed to one person teaching, okay? And uh, to lay people, you know, let's face it, sometimes you have to say things a certain way and they may hear it correctly from one person. And if that makes that kind of difference in their lives, that's a real turning point for them. So that's, that's what MABIM.org is. And if you go to that website, just, I guess you can sign up for a newsletter. You'll see everything that's going on. You know, you see pretty pictures of us. We got, you know, all kinds of uh, pictures from the seminar. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned a lot from it. I'm, I'm very looking forward to watching it again and to, Attending your next conference because it was it was an earful, believe me. <laughs> we sh- we shoved too much into two days. We got we got to expand it out. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of information to fit into two days there. Especially Sean, I was. If you saw how fast he was talking, what you didn't see is I had a dog collar on him. Yeah, he's like. Like, faster yeah okay <laughs> it's like we got all this information but and then of course people are asking questions yeah and he's trying to ask questions stop asking the questions i have time for that later you know you got all this information to put out <laughs> yeah 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 i understand it was it was a lot to chew on for sure it was well dr armin thank you so much for coming Thanks. on the show i really appreciate it and listeners if you want to learn all about detoxification and the modern paleo diet and how to heal your health conditions naturally uh, please go visit live to 110.com learn more about me you can learn about my healing program at mineralpower.com and pretty soon my online health uh, basic program called bodybiorehab.com thank you so much for listening great. yeah i know it's gonna be exciting uh, thank you so much for <laughs> listening to the live to 110 podcast Thank you so much.